Hi there, thank you for joining me on this conversation. For those listening to this as a podcast, welcome to our third episode of the series. My name is Rue and I'm a senior associate at Winkworth Sherwood's Charities and Social Enterprises team. I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague, Chris Garrett, who is a partner in our employment team. Chris, welcome to this podcast. Thanks, Rue. Very pleased to be here. Chris, your webinar, Data Protection, AI in the Workplace, covered some fascinating areas which are both relevant and topical as we see the use of AI develop and expand across various sectors. Now, next month, I will be chairing a discussion at the annual Charity Law Association Conference on the application of AI in the charities sector. I will share a link to that upcoming conference in my show notes. Chris, I'm interested in exploring the multifaceted approach of AI, and as noted in your recent webinar, its application in the workplace setting, and some of the, some of the legal issues associated with this. I'm keen to learn from you today um, on the main themes of your um, webinar. So perhaps if I may start by asking you, what inspired you to give your recent webinar, and could you summarise what the key themes were? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, AI has been um, getting a lot of attention over the last few months. Um, and we were beginning to get questions from clients, employers about the legal issues around their employees using publicly available AI tools such as ChatGPT for work purposes. And also you know, separately, but also related to AI, about the privacy implications of an employer or an organization using AI tools for efficiency or other purposes within their, their workplace. And we, we thought a session that bringing these topics together would be timely and interesting for our, our clients and contacts. And I think it's fair to say that a lot of the media coverage we see about AI has led companies to think they need to worry about using AI, but perhaps not really know what it is they should be worrying about. Um, so um, the first area I discussed in the in the talk was the ways in which AI and automation can be used in the work for workplace and the benefits for companies in, in doing so. Um, we also talked about the use of AI and technology for workplace surveillance, so tracking your own uh, employees, and which mm -hmm. obviously gives rise to some very significant um, privacy concerns. And then I covered some issues um, relating to the policies and, and other considerations that employees should have in place in connection with the use by their employees of things like ChatGPT and other mm. similar generative AI tools that um, that are available um, mm. available to them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been touching just a few bits of what you've said. I mean, all AI tools involves processing of personal data, doesn't it? Um, in your opinion, can that be problematic? Um, and can automated decision-making be problematic specifically? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to uh, automated decision making, I mean, there are certainly some specific legal issues that need to be to be addressed, and there is, and frankly, there there are obstacles that that can make AI difficult to use in automated decision making as the law currently currently stands. So, currently, any sort of data any data subject, including an employee or candidate or anyone about about whom you're using data, they have the right not to be subject to um, decision based solely on automated decision making or automated processing, including profiling. 
if, if that decision produces legal effects concerning them, um, um, unless one of the exceptions apply. And I think, I think it's important to note that these rules only apply where there is no human intervention in the in the decision. So AI, which assists a human in making and ultimately making a decision, that that's not caught by the rules relating to automated decision decision making. But if if there is no human making the ultimate decision, and the the employer or the company slavishly follows the outcome of an algorithm, for example, then then you're squarely within the um, within within these rules. Um, and the exceptions, the exceptions that do do allow you to do this, so where you have the express consent of the uh, of the person, so they know what you're doing, they know why you're using automated decision making, and they've said yes, I'm happy, I'm happy with that, or mm. where the perform where it's necessary for the performance of a of a contract, but that's I think a relatively limited, um, you know, set of exceptions, um, and there have been some fines relating to to this, not not particularly in the UK, but in other European jurisdictions, there have been some quite hefty fines for um, the use of automated decision-making without any human intervention. For example, uh, one of the food delivery companies, Foodinho, was fined you know, well over 2 million euros in, in Italy for uh, automated decision-making without human intervention that affected its uh, delivery drivers. So there's some significant risks um, in uh, in sort of pushing ahead with um, automated decision making, even even for companies where there's an obvious business efficiency to using that. Yeah, absolutely. And one um, aspect of your talk that I um, thought was quite fascinating um, is touching on discrimination um, and recruitment. Um, and I recall um, you, met, you provide an example where um, if you were to use one of the AI tools in, in profiling and the, and the person um, didn't get the initial interview is because due to a disability, um, then, as we know, the laws in this country um, underpinned by UK GDPR and data protection rules um, means that employers need to make reasonable adjustments. So could you talk a little bit about that aspect and, and, the, and the problems that that could cause? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, yes, I mean, it's a real area of crossover between discrimination law and 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 data protection and and AI tools are increasingly used in in recruitment. I mean, we've seen uh, we've seen, for example, uh, companies who use uh, sort of simulated gaming um, systems to um, to sort of uh, test the abilities of their uh, candidates for employment. And what they generally do in those um, in those in those tools is they they will have had their sort of high achieving em employees. Um, Play, play the games to set and sort of identify the key characteristics of high achievers within the, within the organization. Mm. Then they'll give the same game to to candidates who will be invited to to play play the game. And that those sort of showing the same characteristics as the existing high achievers um, you know, may may go through to the next stage of the um, the recruitment process. And, and obviously that that can in some circumstances just entrench an existing bias within an organization so if the if the existing high achievers are you know from a pool that's been sort of tainted by bias originally then then the identification of the successful candidates is also going to be tainted by the same the same bias and that you know that could give rise to discrimination claims 
Yeah, absolutely. And and given the potential discrimination claims and some of the other pitfalls that could arise, like the Italian case that you mentioned. Um, so what, what can we do? I mean, what are we doing to support clients um, in this space? So, I mean, we, we get asked a variety of different um, questions. I mean, I suppose AI is a, is, a, is a massive topic and it sort of it spans various different areas. Um, I mean, we one of the um, one of the main areas we we're supporting our clients is the is sort of the drafting of, of policies for the use of things like um, chat GPT. Um, and I think the um, to 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 have an effective policy in that area, um, you first need you need really need to identify what the risks that you're you're facing through your employees using um, chat GPT um, are. I mean, coming back to your question more specifically on sort of how how to avoid the discrimination risks, then I think the you know, the key in the recruitment is that you don't you're not making the um, you're not making any final decisions or uh, any ruling anyone out without the opportunity for human uh, human intervention, mm-hmm. uh, and that ought to identify if if done properly where somebody requires a reasonable adjustment as part of the recruitment process. So if if, um, if you've asked the question, which even even if you're not using AI in your recruitment, you probably will be asking the question about whether the candidate considers themselves to have a disability for the purposes of the, the Equality Act. And if, you, if you've asked that question, you've got the answer then, and you ought to have the tools to allow you to make reasonable adjustments. Um, and then separately, um, the outcome of those um, those gaming exercises that shouldn't be the final you know, the final decision making. It can it can pay, play a part in the recruitment decision making process, but it oughtn't be the deciding factor. And that those two kind of approaches um, ought to protect employers from um, the most obvious discrimination um, discrimination risks. And if if you're um, process is tainted by bias because it's sort of modeled on your existing workforce and really that's more of a problem for the effectiveness of the recruitment and you're not really getting the best people you're um you know you're, you're missing out frankly on um on potentially sort of very, you know effective um candidates for employment if 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 they're being weeded out um through sort of biased um biased process yeah and do, do you consider the need of having um a data protection impact assessment as being necessary or a, and a privacy notice perhaps as well yep absolutely um i think for for anything that's touching on automated decision making or or profiling of individuals then um you certainly need a, a data protection impact assessment um and that's um really a, a process which allows you to consider the impact on the privacy of individuals um, through um, the processing of their personal data that you're <clears throat> you're carrying out and to identify whether there are any less intrusive um, ways of achieving what you're looking at doing mm-hmm. um, and if and if there are um, sort of exploring whether those could be implemented um, rather than the the original proposal um, mm-hmm. so that's definitely a and it, even if it's not legally required it's still a it's a good uh it's a good practice step to have to have gone through to have identified those those risks and possible mitigations yeah and indeed in some cases to identify whether the 
actually the risks outweigh the benefits and you shouldn't you shouldn't be going ahead with um with that it would also help you identify whether you're using sort of special category data uh, which can can be relevant here so bi biometric data for example could yeah. be special category data or ai tools that analyze the tone of a meeting or a person's sort of approach through the use of um facial recognition or you know, similar technology that that could be um you know something that your dpia um will, will flush out particularly if that's the first time that your data protection officer for example is has been involved in um in a, in a new tool that you're you're planning planning to use yeah and then pri privacy notices absolutely sort of bread and butter of any sort of data protection professionals um um of life the, the privacy notice ought to um to properly explain and clearly explain to people how their personal data is being used um mm -hmm. i i think that that also requires you to explain how you're using um artificial intelligence in in the processing of people's personal data i've i've been doing that with you know several clients over the last few months um even you know, simple tools like um the microsoft tool that can generate a summary of a um of a meeting using microsoft teams where, where you have the record and transcribe function uh enabled um there's an additional tool that can can create a summary of the um of, of the meeting or can analyze the tone of the meeting um and that that ought to be explained in um in the privacy notice that you're giving to the people whose whose data you're processing in those in those meetings yeah, and, and what I found interesting in your webinar was you um, asked ChatGPT to prepare, I think, a privacy notice. You gave it a simple exercise to do. Um, and it'd be interesting for you to share your thoughts on what ChatGPT, what the ChatGPT results were and, and the pitfalls on that. Um, and I guess linked to that, um, you know, what do you think are, what do you foresee as being the opportunities and threats um, in the use of AI? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think uh, I I should note that I did that as a an exercise purely out of interest for for the webinar rather than anything I um, <laughs> uh, produce for my for my clients. But I think you know if you know what you're doing um, in that kind of exercise, then ChatGPT and similar tools can get you probably ninety percent of the way. Um, mm -hmm. it, it can give you a very good first first draft. Um, I found, you know, it the, the document that it produced for me when I asked it to draft a privacy notice, it looked like a privacy notice. Um it had it covered most of the areas that were required by um GDPR. There were a few things that were missing and there were a few things that um I knew because this is what I do for my my day job mm. had been drawn from the requirements of other other legislation. So it had obviously drawn drawn in things from privacy notices of of companies outside the EU mm -hmm. and um had included those in the in the suggested um document. But because you know if you're an expert in what you're doing, you know how to identify those things, then absolutely a totally sensible thing to be to be using um to 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 produce your your work. But the, the danger for companies is uh in sort of junior or unskilled employees or people who are sort of maybe um, working on something for the first time or outside their usual um, area of expertise, um, because it because what it produces, it looks quite convincing. Um, mm -hmm. 
there, there can be an assumption that it's correct. Um, and sort of quality control, certainly at the moment, is a um, def definitely a big a big issue that um, employees should be should be worried about. Depends, of course, a bit on how important it is to be hundred percent accurate. If you're if you're a lawyer producing legal advice, it's very important. If if you're writing a speech um, or you know a webinar, for example, then then maybe it's slightly less important. And I think you know the the that's that's part of what a um, a good policy on in this area can can tell you. It can help you do a risk assessment of um, of when it's risky to be using um, AI tools and when it's less risky. Um, I mean, there there are obvious there are other issues with using with using it. I think um, the one the one that concerns us most as data protection lawyers is if if you um, inadvertently or or deliberately include personal data in what you ask chat mm -hmm. GPT, then then you could be breaching the, the law in, in doing that because the, yeah. you know, the terms of use of chat GPT um, make it clear that, that it's not necessarily just going to be used for producing what is then sent, um, you know, given back to you. Um, equally, you know, the same applies for confidential information. And there are some IP issues which I think are I think still really to be to be flushed out about sort of the, who really owns the um, the output of um, you know a chat GPT inquiry that's done by a an employee of a of a company. Um, so you know those are, but I think I think probably these are teething problems and these, these are things which will be you know in five five or ten years time mm. we'll probably look back and wonder why we were worrying about these these issues and I think you know. I, I, I certainly think generative AI, large language models, that that's that's going to be a major pay, uh, factor in our in our working lives in in, in the years to come. So, um, you know, it's here, here to stay. Obviously, we need to work through these these issues, and we're you know we're here to help our our clients clients do that. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And I think you nicely sort of um, summed summed up that human intervention at this point in time is still very necessary um you know as we've seen some of the common critiques of um certainly generative ai is the you know obviously the data sets you know is it biased um you know is it reliable there's there's um you know issues about misinformation and possibly even disinformation um and we've seen cases certainly in the us where lawyers have been sued for over reliance um on the data generated by chat gpt which is turned out to be untrue of, of false information. Um, so this clearly risks in that regard. And I think human intervention is, is definitely necessary because I think transparency is, you know, when you agree transparency is still an issue because not a lot of people, myself included, um, understand just exactly what the black box of AI is. You know, we can see the data getting trained and we see the information that's generated, but what, what goes on in, in, you know, in that middle piece um, we, you know, I, I don't know what the answer is, <laughs> quite frankly. So I think that that bit remains to be seen. And did you have any, you know, particular thoughts about sort of the wider le legislation landscape? Because I know in the UK, um, the white paper that we had is very much pro-innovation. Um, and there doesn't seem to be um, any sort of new laws like we see in the EU, the EU Act, um, to, to regulate this area. Although I noticed last month the um, 
there was an update in the National Risk Register where um, the UK government flagged that AI, you know, you know, was seen as a chronic risk um, in this National Risk Register. So I, I wondered what your thoughts were just on that larger, wider regulatory landscape. Yeah, it's an interesting question, and as you say, there, you know, there, you know, there are various different jurisdictions that are taking different, different approaches, um, and you know, it's, we see legislation in, in in the US, the EU, uh, possibly in the in the UK, and as you say, I think the the UK is at least attempting to present itself as you know pro innovation and a deregulatory de state, certainly as compared to the to the, to the EU, I'm not sure that's really sort of sustainable for us to maintain huge differences in our in our laws with our you know closest trading mm. partners. There are many there are many companies that operate, of course, in the EU and and in the and in the UK. So for those, um, it's, it's frankly it's somewhat unhelpful for for the laws to diverge too mm. much because it's just you know it limits certainly it limits the extent to which. You can benefit from a, a sort of pro-innovation um, regime in 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 the UK. I mean, I think there are certainly some threats from the use of AI. I'm not totally sure how um, how they can really be countered by um, legislation. I'm thinking, you know, there's been quite a bit in the press recently about the, the use by, by cyber criminals of AI, and it's it's sort of Giving them the tools to conduct cybercrime, um, which may, may be, unless they were sort of, you know, skilled in in the area, they previously would have sort of had had trouble accessing. Now, generative AI can can teach you <laughs> how to commit your your cybercrime. But equally, you know, the other side of the coin is that um, AI tools allow those who are defending against um, cybercrime much greater capability as well. So it's sort of um it's sort of game of the game of whack-a-mole sort of has with mm. with 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 higher stakes, frank, frankly now. And it's uh it's an interesting microcosm of the um risk and reward of um you know of of, of AI. So um and um yeah, you know, uh, I suppose you know, another another risk that people see in in AI, more of a societal one, is um, displacing people from their from their roles. And I think you know, obviously that's not going to be something that um, any piece of legislation is going to to deal to deal with. And it's, it's one yeah. of the unknowns, I think, is whether um, yeah. AI will lead to higher higher unemployment because it will replace more administrative roles or or perhaps, looking on the more positive side, it will sort of it'll release people from the from the shackles of more mundane work and allow them to, to concentrate on more productive productive tasks. So I think it's definitely a case of watch this space. It yeah. will no doubt have some impact on the the workforce um, and the kind of roles that people are needed for. Um, yeah. But you know, um, certainly it's not something that um, as I said a moment ago, it's not something that's going to go away. So, um, you know, that that I think any company needs to to embrace, and and the workforce needs to embrace yeah. it um, as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I get sense from looking at the literature, wider literature, that it's because of this very sort of ever-changing landscape of AI that it's, it's hard for the UK government to sort of start compiling a piece of legislation. I think the using watch this space to, to look and see what's going on and, and to at the moment place responsibilities on the existing regulatory bodies to sort of police the development of AI. But, um, you know, it's interesting to see the work of the AI Standards Hub. And I know um, the Alan Turing Institute um, recently um, had a podcast um, on the regulatory landscape of AI. So I do recommend um, for those that haven't um, listened to that to check that particular podcast out as well. Um, so at the time of um, this recording, certainly, um, and I attended recently um, a meeting with somebody from the Charity Commission um, and we touched on sort of AI very briefly toward the end of a, of a discussion on a separate matter. And, um, and what I've seen from sort of what they've said on the uh, AI piece is that they're certainly very conscious of, it, of AI. They are keeping a close watch um, on the AI, but as of yet, they are not going to provide any written guidance um, on, on charities and AI. Um, so for those listening who work in the charity sector, um, the CC26, um, guidance, charities and risk management would be a good um, starting point to review some of the new and emerging risks, AI included. Um, so it's useful to sort of be familiar with that guidance. Um, so on that note, Chris, thank you for your time and for those listening um, and those interested um, on the application of AI in the charity space, um, please do take a look out for my upcoming um, conference next month. Um, and thank you once again for those watching and for those listening to this as a podcast. I hope you found our conversation inspiring and informative. And I hope to catch you in our next episode. Bye.